So we're going to jump over to John chapter 1, verses 29 through 39, and that is on page 750 in your Bible. So if anybody wants to turn there, it'll be on page 520 first, and then keep your finger, fast fingers, and jump over to 750. It's also up on the screen because Bailey's got our back. Cool. Isaiah 49, 1 through 7. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. From the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He, he made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent, spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to rescue the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of, the, of rulers, kings will see you and stand up, princes will see you and bow down, because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Jumping over to John chapter 1, 29 through 39. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you saying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went, so they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent it that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Good morning. When I first got here, there was nobody here. I'm like, wow, what are we doing? Where is everybody? But you're here, and that's awesome. I have a question for you. What was your favorite thing about school? Or what is your favorite thing about school? Recess. Learning. Oh, good answer. Um, the bell ringing to go home. All right. Um, hmm? Lunch. Lunch. 
Okay, all good things. Jim, teachers, teachers are great. Uh, when I was a kid, one of my favorite things about school was show and tell. I love show and tell. You got to bring in something cool from home, like your favorite stuffed animal or a toy or something you drew or something, and you could tell everybody about it. And it was pretty awesome. And that was the best part of the day because you got to be the center of the attention, right? So I brought something to show today. It's what I do every week. I don't think I ever grew up. <laughs> Maybe we should call this show and tell instead of message in a basket. I don't know. Anyway, I brought my lamb today. Well, actually, it's not my lamb. It's Katie's lamb. And this lamb was bought when I was pregnant with her. And it actually has a music box in it that plays Jesus Loves Me. It doesn't work too well anymore. But I remember putting it on my belly and playing Jesus Loves Me while she was still in there. And then when she was born, we put it in the crib with her. That's when you were allowed to put stuffed animals in cribs with babies. Um, <laughs> but this has been a well-loved lamb. And I know I've used it a couple of times before. But that's not all I want to talk about today. Because the reason I want to talk about show and tell is because that's what our scripture is all about. Showing and telling. It talks about John saying, Hey, repent. Be baptized. Someone's coming after me that's even better, but for now, let's get started. And then when Jesus came, he said, See, there he is. I've been telling you but now I'm showing you. You can talk all you want, but you know, you don't learn a whole lot just by listening. You learn a little bit more by seeing, and you'll learn a whole lot more by doing. And John's disciples said, hey, okay, that's, that's the guy you've been telling us about. Hey, Jesus, what are you all about? And what does Jesus say? Let me tell you about what I'm all about. No, he says, hey, come on, I'll show you what I'm doing. And Jesus showed us what to do. He didn't just sit there and tell us, love your neighbor, do this, do that. He showed it. He lived it. And you'll learn a whole lot more by doing. And I think that's what it's all about. We aren't supposed to just tell everybody. We're supposed to show everybody, through our lives, through our actions, working hand in hand with someone, the way Jesus did, what it's all about, what the kingdom of heaven is all about. Don't just tell. Words go in one ear and out the other. Sometimes they don't even go in, they just bounce right off. I know, I teach high school. But when you show it, when you work together, it sticks a whole lot more. Maybe that's why I still like show and tell. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for showing us, not just telling us, but showing us how you want us to be your people, how you want us to gain more people for your kingdom, how you want us to live each day. Help us not to just use words, but to show through our lives, our actions, our willingness to work with and touch and hold and comfort everyone that we meet, because that's what you did. You showed us. You didn't just tell. So help us not to just tell, but to show as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Lord, we long to be holy, and we can even choose to be holy, but also we can't become holy by ourselves. Thank you for your grace and your mercy and your longing for to make us like you as you already made us in your image. We pray that we will be open to your transformation and hear from you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week we talked about epiphany. Anybody remember what that word means? Aha! Oh! It's a realization of something that you didn't realize before, usually that has to do with some underlying truth of how the world works and you never really thought about it and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I get it now. Now everything makes so much more sense. Um, a lot of times there is some kind of um, element of God showing up. Um, other religions use this word too to talk about when they have some kind of sense of their, their God or their spirituality like kind of coming to make sense. Um, but Epiphany is the season that we're in. It's the season, the church season before Lent. And so we talked about that last week, and we also talked about identity, and we also talked about John the Baptist. So because this is the whole season, I'm so excited to learn this, um, my prayer for us for this season of Epiphany is that God will, during this time, um, through all of our worship, the whole service, every week, will give us a new epiphany of himself and of ourselves so that we can better reflect him to the world, even better than we already are. Last week we also talked a little bit about this idea of Jesus and me being different from me saying to God, for example, you and me. Anybody, did that make sense to anybody? <laughs> Paul told me that I was like all over the place last week, and that's totally possible because I was exhausted. <laughs> so, um, did you have a sense of what that what I was talking about? Yeah, yeah, so like, I think there's a lot of us that we grew up in church or we've been going to church for a while and we, you know, maybe we read the Bible a lot and we know a lot of things about God and we know a lot of things ab about Jesus and the Bible and we can talk about Jesus, we can say Jesus is my best friend and we can tell people about him and we can do all these good things. And then at some point we realize, oh, wait a second, I'm not actually talking to Jesus, though, <laughs> about any of this stuff. I'm just... He's just kind of over here. We talked about how we're created in God's image, and if you think about it like a, let's think about it like a mirror. So if we have a relationship with God, at some point, we need to be facing God, right? And so we can know him and let him show us ourselves rather than just knowing about him and choosing to define ourselves by ourselves. Or like, I choose to be holy, like we sang. We can choose that, but we're going to have a really hard time becoming holy if we're not spending time in front of God, letting him show us how maybe we're not quite holy yet, but here's, how, here's what he looks like, and he can help us to get there. So the idea of an image, we think of mirrors, and if we're the image of God, imagine that we're a mirror we're not going to do a great job of reflecting God if we are 
So use your imagination here. You know, sometimes in fairy tales there are mirrors that can talk, but usually they still reflect the person, something about the person. Well, imagine that we're a kind of mirror that can move. So God comes to see himself in us, and we're like, whoop, hey, here's God over here, guys. But we're reflecting some vase or lamp or some other thing that's over there. God wants to see himself in us. And we can learn to see ourselves in God. And that is the goal of the Christian life for the individual. So, John the Baptist, we discovered last week, encountered a little bit of this. He had been preaching and teaching to all these crowds of people and telling them about, there's, I'm going to baptize you for repentance, but there's somebody else who's greater than me that's coming. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes, gets right in front of him and says, will you baptize me? And he's like, what? <laughs> um, but he does it. And Barbara la- asked me last week if, um, if everybody saw the dove come down from heaven and heard the voice of the Father speaking, and it is not clear in any of the gospel stories, but it is clear that at least John the Baptist heard and saw this, because our passage today says, the next day, after the baptism, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him. But the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. So John the Baptist knew him, knew Jesus from before he was born, like we talked about last week, but at the same time, there was a sense in which he did not know him until Jesus showed up in front of him and asked to be baptized, and he had to confront him, who he was and who Jesus was face to face. And now he knows, and so now he can tell everybody, this is the one that I was telling you about. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one, he says. So, who here watches The Chosen? I haven't watched it. I haven't watched the current season. But in The Chosen, who is or who are The Chosen? The disciples. Okay. Why do you say that? What's that? You thought it was about the Jewish people as a whole. Okay. Anyone else have another thought? What if it's Jesus? Right. Yes? (laughs) What if it's all of them? This might, so my epiphany prayer is that we all have a new epiphany of God and start to reflect him even better. But maybe our epiphany question can be, who is the chosen or who are the chosen? What is the chosen like? And also... Chosen for what? Something relevant? I don't want to miss anything. Okay. (laughs) You're not in trouble. I just... (laughs) Sometimes some good insights come out from over there. Okay. So we are going to get back to this John story at the end of our talk today. But most of the time today, we're going to focus in the chapter of Isaiah, or the part of Isaiah that Kathleen read for us, There is 
in the second half of Isaiah, from chapters 40 to 55, this is pretty famous if you're a Bible nerd. You don't even have to be super nerdy. Um, There is a series of what are called servant songs, and there's this character known as the servant who shows up in these chapters in Isaiah, and Christians who read these passages automatically usually assume that the servant, this mysterious servant, is Jesus. But, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, remember that the passages, especially the the prophetic passages in the Old Testament, have to have made sense to the people at the time. So, even though they can have a fulfillment in Jesus, and many of them do, probably many more than we are even aware of, when they were written down, when they were first read or first heard, they didn't, people didn't know about Jesus, specifically. They didn't, when he showed up, they didn't, he wasn't what they expected. So, and they weren't even always thinking of all of, a lot of these passages were like, gee, these, these are passages about the Messiah who was coming. And some of those passages, Jewish people understood that way, but not all of them. So who do you think was the servant in these passages for the people of Israel, the first people that heard these prophecies? Israel, right, themselves. And this is correct. Correct answer, Sandy. (laughs) So let's recap something real quick. I say this over and over and over again, and then sometimes I discover that it's still not quite sinking in. So, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is reconciliation between God and humans, first of all. That's how all the other reconciliations happen. Between humans and each other, between humans and all creation, and within humans themselves. This is a four-way thing. You can think of it like the four points of the cross if you want to. Just remember, there's four reconciliations that come from what Jesus did on the cross. God made a way for this reconciliation to happen through the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Also four things. But the good news is not good news if it doesn't also apply to the here and now and also apply to people's concerns across all ages and cultures. So, we have, we come from a society that until recently, we're kind of a stiff upper lip society and you just kind of plow through and life is terrible, but that's okay because we're waiting for heaven. The current society that we live in doesn't have that kind of emotional fortitude, and maybe they should, but... People nowadays want to know, does this make a difference now? Because if it doesn't, I can't bank on what's happening in the next life. I need it to be good now. And so the good news has to be both for now and for for here and for the hereafter. And it has to be good news no matter who you are, no matter what culture you're coming from. The idea that life is ju- that this life is just a testing ground and that eventually God will move us forever from here 
and destroy this place completely and we'll be somewhere else is actually pagan. It's been tied up with the church for a really long time, but it is a pagan belief. Many pagan traditions see this world as bad, as some kind of error, and the ultimate solution is nirvana. Everything gets wiped out and we become one with the universe, the divine, something or other. But the Hebrew and Christian scriptures say creation is good. We've messed it up royally, but it's good, and we were created to be here. And the good news is that God became human to restore humans and creation to his original intention. And we talked about this a lot during Advent when we talked about already and not yet. Jesus has already built, God has already created a good world, and Jesus has already built things in through his life, death, resurrection. And so there's already things in place, but it's not yet fulfilled. God made a good world. God made humans in his image to rule over the good creation by being united to him and living his life and character here. Humans try to do all those things, but without God, like the mirror going like this, or breaking, going like this and breaking. <laughs> um, we try to be God without God. We try to be like God without God. And so sin, sorrow, and death, and brokenness, and addiction, and all of those things come from that. And God has created a world because God values us so much. He has created a world that he would allow to be affected by our choices, even if they're bad. Even if they're selfish, even if they have far-reaching consequences that we didn't expect, God doesn't magically fix human choices because he created us in his image with power and authority, and we might misuse it, but that's how he made us. He respects us too much to magically fix our choices. He wants reconciled humans, people who are reconnected to himself, to reconcile humans and the rest of creation. God wants to bring everything back into reconciliation, into unity with him, not in a nirvana kind of way, but in a vibrant, living, acting out God's self through all of our personalities and all of our identities and all of our talents that he gave us to reconcile the world to him. He doesn't just magically do all this. So, originally the chosen, or the servant, was the people of Israel. God intended, first God intended humans to rule the earth, and then we messed it up. And so then God chose a family, which turned into the people of Israel, and he intended these descendants of Abraham through Abraham's grandson Jacob to be the community of people who were reconciled to him, and those people were supposed to show the rest of the world how to be reconciled to God so that everybody could reconcile everything back to God. And the way to do this is to 
express the justice of God, the morality of God, the care for creation, which, in God, all of those things are love. Justice, goodness, and care for creation are all expressions of God's love when they are done through God. The character of the servant, or the character of Israel in Isaiah, isn't all that great all the time in chapters 40 to 48. Sometimes this servant is described as stubborn or blind or feeble. But there's a shift in chapter 49, which is what Kathleen read for us this morning. And she writes, says, you see what's happened. The name of Israel seems to be being transferred from the people as a whole who remain rebellious and wicked and are continually getting it wrong to one person who stands over and against Israel, as it were, Israel for the people. So there's Israel who were chosen, and then there's this one person who was chosen to be Israel, because they weren't doing a good job of this reconcilia- reconciliation thing. And so, they, so one person was going to do it for them. On Christmas Eve, I think, we read Isaiah 59, and <coughs> it describes how the Lord looked for somebody to do his will in the world, which is to reconcile it to himself, and there wasn't anybody, and he was frustrated, so he went and did it himself. And this is what the servant does, and this is who Jesus is. That's Isaiah 59. Isaiah 49 tells the story of the one who was to be Israel to Israel. So, we have this Bible reading challenge, and it's online, and I keep hoping somebody's going to talk to me on there, and Ron did it for a while, but he was the only one, and so now nobody's really, I don't know if you guys are reading, but I really hope that you do, because I think it's important, and I'm, and so we're going to take, I know, it's 11, we're going to take the rest of this time, you are going to help me with this, because I think this might help you when you're reading scripture to start to think of how to ask questions, how to read it in a way that actually you can kind of have a conversation with the text, a conversation with God, um, and with each other. So we're going to go verse by verse, and I'm going to ask some questions, and you throw out the answers, and then we'll see if we can figure out what story is being told here. In verse 1, It's of Isaiah 49. It says, Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. So, first of all, who's talking, do you think? God? God? Sandy, what? Yeah, the Jesus part of God. The servant, in this particular context, because the original readers wouldn't have known It was specifically God. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. So this is the servant. Who is he talking to? The islands. Distant nations. Why is he talking to them? We will find out in a few more verses. Great. What is the servant's relationship to God? Before we go to the next verses, he's a servant and 
What's that? Okay, he's related. Before he was born, the Lord knew him. So there's a, and he was called. Okay, verse 2. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he is God. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. Is this, these are all, this is all picture language. Swords and arrows and stuff. Does any of this imagery remind you of any other descriptions in the Bible? Okay. How so? Okay. So in Revelation, Jesus has a mouth sword. This is like so, yeah, intense. <laughs> um, and so here we already have this imagery. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. And in Hebrews, whoever wrote Hebrews, says that the word of the Lord is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. So something about what God speaks or what Jesus speaks is decisive. It slices through the crap. Um, and lies, right. Okay, verses 3 to 4. He said to me, you are my servant Israel in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. What is the servant feeling? Discouraged? Let's see. Frustration? Anybody here ever feel like this in your service to God? Yeah, 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 me too. How do you cheer yourself up when that happens? Hide in God's hand. Yes. So what? this is how the servant cheers himself up. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. So I'm doing all this stuff for God, and it doesn't look like it's making any difference. And so I'm just going to trust God that he is the one that's going to reward me because these knuckleheads out here. <laughs> sure aren't doing it. <laughs> Verse 5, And now the Lord says, He who formed... <clears throat> no. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. We haven't even gotten to what the Lord says yet, but this is where it switches. All the way up to this point, you can read the servant as being the people of Israel. But now he's saying... God, the Lord, formed me in the womb to be his servant to bring Jacob, that's Israel, back to him and gather Israel to himself. So suddenly, oh, it's one person. It's not the whole people. It's just one. What is the servant's purpose or the servant's job? What's that? Expansion? Restoration. Yes. Right. Yes. We're going to get there. You and I already talked about that. <laughs> you had the back of the book answers already, Sandy. <laughs> um, so yeah. So originally, his job is to bring Jacob back to God and gather Israel to himself. But now the Lord says in verse 6, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also 
make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This is the epiphany that we celebrate throughout the epiphany season. Surprise! God is not just for the Israelites. God is for the Gentiles too. God is for everybody. This is supposed to be a surprise, really, though. Yes, the whole point of Israel was to be a light to the nations from the time that God called Abraham back in Genesis 12 all the way up until now. But then this happens to us too, doesn't it? We realize, you know, we come to God and we repent and we know that we don't deserve to be in God's presence, but then we kind of get used to it. And, and then we start looking down on those people over there. We don't really need to worry about those people over there because, you know, this word, we are God's people. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And so in verse 7, it says, This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and the Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nations, the servant, to the servant of rulers, kings will see you and stand up, princes will see and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Okay. Somebody give me a really quick recap of the story we just told together. Great. I wish you had a mic, because I don't think I can reconstruct that. <laughs> yeah, but we're also recording, and I really, that was really great. So there's a servant, and they're not doing their job, and so God raises up a new servant, and the new servant, say it again, helps the old servant to bring people back to God, and then make new servants and they're all bringing people back to God. Man, you said this way better than I did, Ron. <laughs> this is why I have to write my sermons in advance. <laughs> Otherwise, they'd all be like that. Anyway, the servant is chosen to restore the tribes of the chosen people and then to restore the Gentiles. And then, yes, everybody, all the servants are doing such a great job that kings and princes and all the big wigs who supposedly have all kinds of clout, they all bow down and worship or stand up and respect to this one original chosen servant. All the people who learn to find their identity in Jesus Messiah, which by the way, Messiah means anointed or chosen one, are chosen. This is not quite the same thing as predestination. Don't ask me to parse that out. It's already after 11. Um, but all of us, Jesus is the chosen one, and the disciples in the chosen, and the people of Israel, and we 
All of us who find our identity in Jesus are chosen to reestablish God's loving rule over the earth through humans. And yes, there is hope for the next life, but it's better news even than that, and we're not going to be in some disembodied, blobby existence. We're going to be, ha- we're going to have bodies that don't break, and we'll be able to care for creation better than we ever have, and it's going to be way cooler, and it's already really cool. In this passage that we look at, if we see it as describing Jesus, when we find our identity in Jesus, it can also describe us. Maybe, sometimes, we are actually being good servants, and still we say, I have labored in vain, I have spent my strength for nothing at all, because sometimes the people around us just don't want to hear the good news. But, now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. We are all following in Jesus' footsteps. We are all becoming more like Jesus while retaining our own distinct selves that God gave us. And so there are ways for every single one of us to fulfill this prophecy as God's people. Sandy hinted at this earlier, because she and I talked this week already. (laughs) The book of Isaiah gives us, in a lot of places, not just this chapter, gives us these giant-scale visions of God's great plan of good news for the world. And the prophecies, those prophecies came true to an extent then, and they're continuing to come true, and they will come true even more fully in the future, but one reason we often don't recognize, recognize these fulfillments, we don't often get the epiphany, is because most of the time, God works it out on the small scale. So the picture is enormous, but what's happening is just these little teeny pockets of things. And <clears throat> it's really hard to see. So God chooses one family, one man, Faith like a mustard seed, or the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's just tiny. We have to look carefully, and we have to listen closely. So let's go back to the Gospel of John for a second. John the baptizer had an epiphany, and his approach changed, at least in this story. Before, he was preaching to crowds. He had the big-scale thing, like the megachurch arena, side of the hill thing going on, and people were coming and getting baptized, and And he was saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And maybe he kept doing this after he baptized Jesus. Or possibly his messages became more individualized. Because what we know about him after this is that he gets arrested by Herod. Because he starts targeting Herod's immoral marriage to his brother's ex-wife, who was also his niece. Yeah, Herod was a mess. (laughs) But you don't, you know, John the Baptist probably wasn't yelling about that in the wilderness, so it sounds like maybe after he baptized Jesus, he realized this needs to get smaller scale. I need to actually talk to these individual people. 
and started getting in trouble because he was actually talking to individual people who had some power. Anyway, in this story, at least, he is only with two of his disciples. They are Andrew and John, the guy that wrote the gospel. And he is pointing them specifically to the chosen, Jesus, the Lamb of God. Look, the Lamb of God, he says. And then John tells us, when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. Just like what Barb was talking about. We don't learn a ton when we're just reading or just hearing me talking. But when we follow somebody and we get into their life and we see how they're living, that's when we learn a lot. Interestingly, come and see was the original tagline of the Chosen show, season one. So our challenge this year, I believe, is to follow our Messiah into our year and really see what he is doing. Look closely to see the small but lasting things that he is doing among us to fulfill the big picture. And I want to remind you of the jar that's out front, the gratitude jar. Notice those little things that God is doing. They can be really little, but we're really good at forgetting those or not seeing them. So I put a couple in there this week. Um, Don't forget, just write them down, throw them in there. It'll be really cool to see what happens at the end of the year. But in the meantime, I think we will have an epiphany.